Few things are harder than the mission of raising your kids. At The Dad Project, we get experienced dads to reveal what's worked for them, offering practical, time-tested advice. Being a successful dad is tough, and we're here to help you get it done. Welcome to The Dad Project. This episode of The Dad Project is the second in a two-part series on successfully raising daughters. In part two, Jim Tierney interviews Ginny Bowles. Ginny is an educator and dean at a middle school for girls in Virginia. She shares thoughts on how dads can raise daughters into successful and confident adults. Ginny is the oldest of nine children and is the daughter of Martin Bowles, frequent contributor to the Dad Project podcast. Well, Ginny, thanks for joining us today. Um, would you uh, please tell us about yourself, a little about what your life is like today, and maybe some highlights from your education, your life, and your career along the way to where you are today? Sure. So I'm a teacher. I teach at an all-girls school, grades 6 through 12, so middle school and high school in Northern Virginia. I've been teaching for eight years, and three of those years, I was also the dean of students in addition to teaching, so kind of overseeing any of the non-academic aspects of student life at my school. And I'm currently getting my master's in American history and government. And I studied in college. I went to UCLA and studied Greek and Latin. Okay, great. So can you tell us about your family life growing up? It was really fun. I'm the oldest of nine children, four girls, five boys. And it was just a blast growing up in my family. A lot of strong family traditions, a uh, lot of time together, really fun time together. And that was my fa- my favorite time was the time I spent with my family. Uh, very rich, happy family life. And also with a sense of mission, a family with a sense of mission, kind of there's good to be done for the world. And my family, each member of my family was going to be part of bringing about that good to the best of our abilities. That was kind of inculcated in the family ethos. Does that play into why you be you chose to become a teacher? I think so, for sure. How would you describe your relationship with your dad? Very good. Growing up and very much to this day, loved my dad, very much admire my dad. As a kid, my dad was definitely kind of the director of the fun. My memory of weekends are kind of he took over and I think he was giving my mom a break. I never really put that together until being an adult and realizing where was my mom on the weekend? She was probably in bed with her feet up reading the newspaper. My dad would just take all the kids on a Saturday or a Sunday and have fun with him, whether playing family baseball at the park or going running errands with him or gardening with him. He traveled a lot for his job. So he was gone in some ways a lot, but when he was home, he was very much home. And he would incorporate those family trips into kind of our family culture. So he would bring home presents or little surprises, sometimes things as small as, okay, here's the hotel soap. Who wants the hotel soap as a prize? Here's the, you know, the tear out from the airplane magazine about something I thought you would like. So it was fun when he came home from trips. He always had stuff to show us and give us. He read to us every night. And again, probably these are childhood memories. So he probably didn't read to us every night. But in my memory, he read to us every night. And he would have us read aloud to vacations were super fun and my dad was kind of the pace setter of the vacation so it was waking up early in the morning because we had lots to see it was a lot of history a lot of geology which are his passions 
a lot of fun family time. So I think, yeah, the family culture with my dad and the way I see him when I was a kid and still now is over brimming enthusiasm and his enthusiasms were very contagious. And so you wanted to love things because he loved them so much and he was inviting you in to share those enthusiasms with him. Yeah, that's great. You know that you and uh, your dad and I are friends and uh, it's great to uh, just hear one of his children describe uh, the bits of advice that he's given me over the years as to how to really set the pace and uh, and be a leader within the family and, and, and make sure that uh, the children know that you love and care about them. Uh, because many of the things that you describe are are little specific bits of advice that I've picked up from your dad over the years. How would you say that your dad influenced you and, and the person that you are today? Probably in a lot of ways and ways I won't ever even know. But I was thinking one of the ways um, he tried to create a family culture, a family dynamic that wasn't materialistic with a lot of delayed gratification. So that's one thing that I think both he and my mom put a ton of emphasis on was the important. And I think for him, it was learning how to enjoy things. And if you're too set on whatever's the most trendy or whatever is fast paced, you're actually not going to be able to enjoy as many things in life, especially good things. So he kind of put a premium on helping us develop an enjoyment of things that are more timeless. So some kind of even silly things like resisting fads was a big thing, again, both from my mom and from my dad, because I think that was a big part of their upbringing. So whether it's just, okay, this is the trendy haircut. Well, you're not going to get the trendy haircut because you don't want to look back at your pictures and see how silly you look. But also we're not going to invest in things that aren't going to be worthwhile for a long time. Or um, movies, TV shows, and music was another thing. We were the kids who were never up to date on the latest music. We had to kind of get it contraband from our friends sometimes because it wasn't going to be in our own family room. But I think one of the ways my dad did that was he substituted things that were more timeless and he made them very fun. Because you can't just say, no, those things aren't worth it. We don't do that without making an alternative much more attractive. And I think that's one thing that my dad, my parents did was they made what they saw as a better life, a more fun option. And that's why we were more drawn to that. So I remember one thing when we were kids, Pokemon was super big is when it had first come out. And of course, all of our classmates were really had all the Pokemon cards. And my dad thought it was dumb because it was a fad and he wasn't going to invest in this fad and didn't think it was worth the money or the time. So the way that he kind of countered it in our family was in the morning, many times he had left for work before we woke up. So he would leave a note on the kitchen table, on the breakfast table. And it was the daily hokey poke. Instead of Pokemon, he called them hokey pokes as a way of kind of poking fun at them. And he would make up hokey pokes that were a tease on the actual ones. And he would say, okay, these are their superpowers. As a way of kind of, okay, we have our own thing and it's more fun and it helps us laugh at the fad and it's something that our dad does for us. So, so kind of that making our own family culture more attractive. We watched a lot of old movies, um, even sometimes like the silent comedies. He wanted us to be able to appreciate and laugh at things that were more timeless. A lot of music from his era instead of our era or classical music. 
the other thing that he didn't like, he called them cheap thrills. No cheap thrills. So whether that would be we drive by an amusement park, Dad, Dad, can we go? Stop. No, no cheap thrills. We're going to go see a Civil War battlefield instead. I mean, and we did indulge in fun things too, but in general, it was the idea of more simple pleasures, a lot of nature. Okay, we're going to go canoeing instead of jet skiing. Yeah, and enjoying things that are more simple and enjoying things that last for a long time. And so where does that come in for you today? Where I started was, um, how has your dad influenced you and the person you are today? And you said you thought a lot of ways. Where does that come out? Do those examples that you use come out today in the relationships that you have with friends or with your students or your students' parents? Is it is is your dad's influence there in the life that you're leading today, even though you're far away from the family home? I think so. Um, I think that delayed gratification is so important. It's, without that, you don't have any self-mastery. And without self-mastery, you can't accomplish things that you want to accomplish, whether that's working with diligence or dealing with a colleague or a student or a friend who's a little bit harder to deal with or a roommate. I've also found for me that it's very helpful. I can connect with people of multiple generations because I've I've been introduced to um, modes of entertainment that aren't generation specific. And I've really appreciated being able to form bonds with many kinds of people and including people of multiple generations from the kind of things that he introduced us and helped us to learn how to enjoy. It's funny you mentioned self-mastery. Um, one of my high school age sons was invited to a presentation at your parents' house just yesterday where um, your dad had um, invited a speaker over to talk about self-mastery for teenage boys. Uh, so it's uh, he's still working on it. He, he, and that now, you know, with, uh, the, you know, the, the students that he teaches and um, the, uh, the scouts that he leads. So um, he's, he's still that guy, as I'm sure you're not surprised. Yeah. Okay. So um, my impression is that you're a professional woman, you're a successful uh, professional in the education field. Uh, you seem, uh, from the conversations that we've had prior even to this recording, um, that you're fulfilled by your career, you're passionate about the work that you do. When you were growing up, how do you believe your dad influenced your eventual success and professional fulfillment? My dad put a lot of emphasis on academic excellence in my family. And not academic excellence, but also the idea of be the best person you can be. And a big part of that is your academic excellence and also your professional ambitions. I think it goes back to that sense of mission. If you want to be the best equipped you can to do good for the world. And I think my dad took a lot from his own experience, what he saw in his father what he, his college trajectory, his professional trajectory, and wanted us to have to, to be the best that we can be and seek out the best opportunity. So that was definitely part of our family upbringing, at least for me and the older children was, um, he encouraged us 
in those areas of academic and professional excellence and high ambitions. And he pushed us um, sometimes more than we wanted, <laughs> but, um, but it was helpful. And I think for me, especially my dad, what the impression that I got from my dad is that he saw that I could go as far as I wanted to go, that there was no limit for me. Um, and he wanted me to take advantage of everything that I could. So he would help me. He would put things in my path. Jenny, you should try to do this. You should you know, read this book. You should do this program. Write about that experience so that it can go on your resume. You don't want to forget about that while it's fresh. Um, so I think that's one thing that I learned from him that he kind of helped me with to to get to my satisfaction in my professional career. And another thing that's very important for being a teacher, and not just a teacher, but also in the things I do outside of school of a lot of guidance of younger girls and younger women is the importance of leading by enthusiasm that I got that from him. And it's been so helpful in everything that I do is the way that I try and motivate my students or motivate other people who I'm leading is motivate them by enthusiasm. So kind of convince them by your passion for something that this is worth it. And that that's how I can get people to pursue what I think is worth pursuing, whether that's in the classroom or outside of the classroom. Great. What are the most important things your dad gave you or did for you as you were growing up to help you become a confident, um, well-adjusted, successful adult? Two things that I can think of. And I've asked my siblings about this too. And it's funny that we all have the same kind of takeaway of what was the most important lesson that we got from my dad and from my mom was the importance of taking care of other people, of being interested in other people. Really, it's just being showing interest in other people. And I saw my dad do that. It was his, his MO. It was, I learned by example, but he made a point of talking to us one-on-one and as kids he said you should show interest in other people his line that he always talked to us about was ask them questions about Mm -hmm. themselves everyone likes to talk about themselves you you be the person who asks them about themselves and that's been so helpful growing up is realizing it's not just a kind of a trick of how to get along with people is ask them questions about themselves it's really a good it's there's humility in that is Other people are worth getting to know. There's so much good and so much interest and so much that you can learn from other people. So open yourself up to that by asking them questions. So one is the interest in other people. And the second thing is a lot of hospitality. My dad, I don't know if this is kind of natural to his personality or if this is something that he worked on himself, but he was so... He is so open to other people and loves to invite them in. And he kind of has a heart for the people who are harder to love um, or people who might otherwise be overlooked. So I remember kind of going to church with him and there was the old ladies, you know, who kind of come up to you after church and, oh, what lovely little kids. And the kids are thinking, all right, hurry up. We want to get to the donuts. But my dad would stop and talk to them and say, yeah, this is my daughter, Ginny. This is my son, John. Ginny, John, this is Mrs. So-and-so. You remember Mrs. So-and-so? Say hello to Mrs. So-and-so. Very making sure that we gave time to elderly people, to people who are otherwise kind of boring or hard to talk to. 
um, taking people out for lunch, bringing, inviting people to dinner at our house. Yeah. And even I remember going on a road trip as a family and we had to stop to get some car maintenance, minor car maintenance. And so this guy working at the car place opened up the hood and was checking the oils. And my dad said, boys and girls, get out of the car. Come see. He knows all. Can you teach my kids what these things are? So kind of an appreciation Mm -hmm. for the skill and the knowledge of other people that has been very helpful. That's a great way to approach other people. And it's been it's shaped me a lot and my siblings a lot. Those are great memories and, and reflections. Okay, well, let's move forward in life from the time when you were growing up in your family home to now and you're you're out of the house you're on your own managing your own career trying to have the right alignment between your work life and those other aspects of your life like relationships with friends and other pursuits and interests you have i want to spend some time on your career in education so You're a teacher of multiple subjects in a school for girls, as you've laid out. You've been the dean of that school. And from what I've learned about your school from your dad, it's a place that really focuses on a holistic approach to the education of girls and strives to be a partner with the families of your students in a a really meaningful way. Is that, would you say that's correct? Yes, very much so. So I'm guessing you see a lot of different outcomes among the girls you teach and and work with. Is that what I was that safe to say? Yes. I would assume you see some really noticeable differences in outcomes when you compare the approaches to parenting of different families in the school. Is that, is that something that you say is true also? To an extent? Yes. It's also been interesting I saw this especially in my three years of Dean of Students. It was actually one of the most helpful lessons that I learned during those three years is realizing that there really is no such thing as a perfect family or a perfect way to parent because you would see wonderful families, wonderful parents, and whose daughters had very deep difficulties that were kind of a surprise and every kind of difficulty, that there was no... I would say there's no correlation between how you parent and how your daughter's going to turn out, but it is, it was very humbling to realize a lot can happen. And, and so it makes you much more grateful, you know, for whatever reason, my family was spared some of these heartaches and hardships that are none of the fault of the parents or the way that they did things. So that was a great lesson for me is despite a parent's best efforts and intentions Every child has free will and has different temperaments and can have different struggles. So the parents, it's worth it to try and be the best because if you don't put in that effort, then that likelihood is more that your daughter is going to have more struggles is definitely there. But it is true that there's no recipe. There's no foolproof recipe. So that was just an insight I got in those three years. Yeah. Would you say that you observe that sometimes within the same household, that you have those those profound differences and... And so I'm at, yeah, and it's often surprising of, wow, what happened to this daughter? And there's no, there's not always an explanation for it. And there's not always a fault either. Okay, so after years of teaching and observing the successes and the struggles of teenage girls coming from different backgrounds, from differently constituted home lives and families, what are some things that our podcast listeners who are 
mostly dads who are trying to become better dads, should know? I think there's three things, kind of looking at the girls who I most admire in the school and then trying to look at their dads and their parenting, and and also thinking of my own experience. There's three things that come to mind that's important um, for dads to give to their daughters. Affection, high expectations, and an example of being other-centered. So I think daughters who have affectionate fathers, and that affection can be shown in very different ways. My dad was very verbally and physically affectionate. My dad is more extroverted at home, and a lot of us kids are more extroverted. So I think an introverted dad can have a different way of showing affection that, than what I grew up with, but it's so important to have for a daughter to have a dad who's affectionate. And that affection can come in so many different ways. One of the ways is interest, how important it is that a dad shows interest in his daughter and in the things that his daughter is interested in. I was talking to one of my sisters, and she said that my dad had kind of a special thing with each kid. So with my sister, they, my sister had a little pet turtle, and my dad would always say, okay, Meredith, look, here's Skipperty. Let's see what Skipperty's doing. And that was their thing. That pet turtle was their little thing just between the two of them or for different siblings for my other sister he was really interested in her softball so he would create little moments share things with them and then if you know your dad is interested in you then you're going to talk to him about things if you know that there's an open interest in all of your things so that interest can be a way of showing affection a lot of physical affection and verbal affirmation, whether that can be a very exuberant greeting when you get home of welcome home, or for my dad, it would be for me, my family nickname is Dee Dee, so Dee Dee's home. Every time I would come through the door, it was that very verbal and excited affirmation. You're home. I'm happy that you're here. I love that you're here. So I've seen beautiful things with the girls at my school with, when their fathers are affectionate with them and when they love to be with their dads. Um, high expectations is a second thing. A combination of, I know my daughter can do great things. So that there's nothing more affirming for a daughter than knowing my dad thinks that the sky's the limit for me. Because then you're going to live up to that high expectation. It's also high expectations for behavior in both positive ways and in discipline ways of, of course, my children don't lie. Like I would don't lie because you wouldn't. No child of mine would. And then a lot of discipline too, kind of there's certain zero tolerance behaviors in our family. And if you do that, you're going to get the punishment for it. So the, so, but when you have, when that discipline is coupled with love that's expressed often and verbally, and when it's coupled with high expectations of, well, I'm punishing you because you're capable of more, you're capable of better then it, it goes very well together. And then that example in families who are very other-centered, and I, the way I experience it at my school is when dads take an interest in talking to me. They're not just talking about themselves and their family, but they're when they show, you know, so how are you doing? Then you realize, no wonder, this is where this girl comes from. She has a dad who cares about other people, who asks about other people. So... It's, it's just part of their family, and she sees it from her dad. That's why she's so conversational. That's why she's so confident. 
is because her dad loves her. Her dad sets fun for the family. Her dad has high expectations mm-hmm. of her. And her dad sets an example of caring about other people, too. Would you say, you know, after years of observation that in, in most of these girls who you describe, you, you actually describe them as, as people you admire, you know, students of your own that you admire. Would you say that those three things are generally all true that and that they're always there? And maybe there are a few exceptions, but that maybe affection and high expectations are, are not enough uh, just as a pair, but that it also has to be rounded by, rounded out by that other other centeredness, uh, and that the three kind of go together in the in the uh, families that you've seen it work really well in. I think so, and I think that other centeredness is important, especially for families that have a great dynamic and have a great strong family culture and family ethos. There's a danger um, that that family can be very proud or very. Um, kind of we do it the best. So if you're not, if you don't balance that with with having a concern for others, that brings the humility in, I think, is whenever you're mm-hmm. caring about other people or serving other people, that's going to help counteract family pride. And family pride is a very good thing, but it can be to a fault. So I think the other-centeredness helps balance out when you have a family with a ton of affection and high expectations and put a premium on the upbringing of their children, there's, you can run the risk of having children who kind of grow up saying, yeah, my family's got it all together. We're, we're pretty awesome. And that, that has its downside. So I think that's where the other centeredness helps with that. Yeah. Especially for a family that is, that is very concerned about raising their children. Well, let's turn over to the flip side. Um, So you've, you've kind of laid out those positive things that successful dads do um, just in in this period of time that you've had to observe a lot of girls, a lot of families, and view them through the lens of how you were raised yourself. Do you think there are things that dads should avoid doing that you see, you know, sort of play out from time to time, you know, in multiple families that, oh, here's this habit that this family has or this dad has that um, is is really working um, counter to the the goals that um, that this family you know professes to have. Yes, one thing, um, the detached dad, which I would imagine that all dads listening to this podcast don't want to be a detached, disengaged mm. yeah. dad. Um, but when you have the kind of good guy, mom is the good guy, dad's the bad guy, or vice versa, dad's the good guy, mom's the the bad guy, that could be problematic. Um, I think children, daughters need to see both their parents as being equal partners in caring about the upbringing of their children, the moral and academic upbringing. And they need to see in both of their parents a very strong moral example of a person who is trying to be the best person that they can be. Mm-hmm. So you want to, I think the fathers need to be engaged. And on the flip side of that, I've also seen fathers who are very engaged and very concerned about the upbringing of their children to the extent that maybe they lose confidence in their own abilities and in their own efforts, that they can be very, very worried and preoccupied. Am I a good dad? Or how are my kids going to turn out? I'm worried. And they, um, they start getting 
very concerned. And I think dads should be very confident that if they're doing their best, that's going to be good and it's going to have an effect on their children's upbringing. Because I think, especially in my dean of students role sometimes, you'd have parents who are concerned about something that's happening with their daughter or in their daughter's class. And so they come to the school saying, you know, if this doesn't change, my daughter might start going down a wrong path. And I was always struck thinking, no, if you if you're setting a strong family culture, your daughters are going to do what your family values over what her peers value. Which I know is not always true. Some girls are more prone to being influenced by their peers than their parents. So I think that's partly a temperament thing of a daughter. But I think in general, dads can be very confident. And if they have confidence in their family culture, if they have confidence in their high expectations and in their daughter's ability to meet those expectations, that's a good Mm -hmm. quality. And I think a third quality that's very important and that's very easy to see in a girl's school is that that materialistic attitude is this, is this family just kind of going from one experience to the other, from one iPhone to the other, from this vacation to that vacation. And that really sets girls apart of there's the kind of the screen time obsessed girls and the non-screen time obsessed girls. And so much of that comes from how does your family spend their time? How does, what does your family put value on? So is it a materialistic family, a family into instant gratification, or is it a family that has set values for the family culture that are higher than that? Of all the things you, you said, I, I really want to return to this idea of uh, a dad who's sort of anxious and has anxiety about whether he's being a good dad and, uh, and that that um, comes out in some observable way, um, you know, even in, in your case to, to the teachers of his daughter. Is, is that something that you see ended up, that ends up being reflected in the daughter also? Is it, or, or projected on them in some way? Is there some teenage anxiety that results from that or some other type of behavior that could uh, potentially be destructive or counterproductive? It's a good question. And in some ways, I haven't been around long enough to see how it plays out as they move into college or as young adults. I think it might have a connection to rebelliousness. I think the more confident the dad is, maybe the less rebellious the girl is going to be because she's so moved and inspired by her dad or her parents and their view of their family's values that she won't push back. But that might not be true because I think even in my own family, which had a my dad kind of setting the agenda and a strong family culture, I had very rebellious siblings. So maybe it's just that's my perspective as the oldest in the family, a little more um, conforming and younger siblings. So I think that's an interesting thing to study more is how does that play out? But I think I one thing I do see is when a parent or father lacks confidence, then he might push the responsibility onto a different entity, for example, the school. Um, and the school needs to be a partner with the parents. But I think the parents need to have a lot of confidence in their own own family values sure. um, to help their daughters navigate peer pressure. Yeah. The school can't fix underlying problems in the family uh, in most cases. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, well, I, I, I love the advice, um, 
I do talk to a lot of dads who, who really have a strong desire to get it right. And they, they wonder a lot about what to do to have their kids turn out right. And, and I would say worry about it. And I think you've given us a little takeaway here and, and to just, in just the taking up the mantle of confidence and, and, and being confident. It doesn't mean you don't have to study and seek advice from other dads and, um, read books that come highly recommended and, and and look to the model of other dads that you admire. I don't think any of those things should be set aside, but I, I, I do like the idea that um, just overcoming that anxiety in oneself is to sort of recognize for oneself that there is good reason after successfully reaching adulthood that we can be confident about a few things, that we, we've made it this far, Yes. Uh, and so um, you, I, I hear your dad say the, the phrase confident parent leadership a lot. Yes, that's his phrase, <laughs> which I think he got from his own parenting advice when he was a younger father. So it's a, recy- a recycled phrase that he yeah, uses it yeah, a lot. Yeah, I think that's right. And um, yeah, so I, I, think, um, I think there's a lot that uh, up and coming dads who want to get this right can, can take away. Um, from that. What's your opinion? Is it ever too late for a dad who hasn't done some of these things or all these things, taken these key actions that you've described, you know, as daughters in high school, is it ever too late for that dad who wakes up one day and realizes that he hasn't done any of these things to get started on them? Probably not. It's a little harder for me to say because so much of what I see in my dad I've grown up with. But of the dads at the school, when you change course midway, especially when your parents are teenagers, it's going to be hard, but it is doable. And I've heard stories of parents at my school who kind of attended a parent talk or got some good advice from another couple and went home and said, all right, there's going to be some changes in this family. You know, no more cell phones in the bedroom or, um, you know, we're going to stop stopping at Starbucks every single morning on the drive to school. But it's, I think one thing that helps is when the parents say, we are doing this because it's a change that we need to take on. It's a change in our lifestyle, not just we're going to impose this change on you. So I've heard good things about that change is we as a family are going to have some changes in lifestyle that are going to be better Mm -hmm. for us. And I think also each kid is going to be very different. So to some extent, every dad is going to need to adjust and change as their kids Mm -hmm. grow and with each child. So the way my dad interacted with me is very different than the way he needed to interact with my youngest sister or my other sister who's more rebellious or my younger brothers. So the nature of the dad-daughter relationship is always going to need to be revisited and tweaked and reflected on and experimented with is what reaches her best now and what does she need from me now. So if there's a dad who's listening to this podcast and thinking, I messed up, I did not do things that I should have done, and now I have a teenage daughter who's out of control, who doesn't listen or doesn't obey, brings a lot of conflict into our home. It's probably engaging in some number of risky behaviors. And I 
fear that this is going to go badly for her and for our family. Have you seen any dads who have successfully turned that sort of situation around? And uh, what can a dad who's in the middle of a mess like this do as a first step? Any ideas? One story that's coming to my mind right away was my um, my grandfather's funeral, his eulogy. Um, so this is my grandmother's second husband after my mother's father passed away. She remarried a widower who had his own children. And in the eulogy, there was a daughter who, as a teenager, probably in the 70s, went off, went off the rails. And you know, years later, came back on the straight and narrow. But what she and her brother brought up in the eulogy was my dad. My mom was you know, so upset and couldn't believe the behavior of her daughter. And the dad said, we need to keep the lines of communication open. And how beautiful that was of, I don't approve of the behavior, but keeping the lines of communication open and how that, so a dad to discover how to keep, so there's an element of affection there of how to, how does that daughter know he still loves her, even if he is going to demand in some ways a change of behavior. I think another thing that I've seen when a teenage girl at my school has started acting out in whatever way is sometimes the dad needs to cut back a little bit and spend more time with her. And sometimes it aligns with a very busy period at work or he just started getting swept up into something and realizing, all right, and sometimes this is as a couple of, we need to spend more time with her. I think quarantine lockdown was very interesting and seeing a lot of girls at my school who had anxiety, who after those eight months of lockdown were so much happier when they came Mm -hmm. back to school because their parents Mm -hmm. had been home. And they were having dinner together as a family every night. So sometimes it's just more time and more attention when a teenage girl starts acting out. I, I find that this um, is a frequent question that I get uh, from, from dads who are seeking advice. I ask this question to a lot of people, uh, dads that I admire, you know, other people that I think are in a position to observe um, you know, successful outcomes with the raising of daughters and sons for that matter. And, uh, you know, I, in a couple instances, I've been told that, um, you know, there, there may be some sort of, um, big emotional blow up that starts. I think the point you make about owning it together as a family comes out in a lot of advice that I've heard and that, uh, you know, often, the bad behavior is is being driven by uh, an example that one or, or both of the parents are setting that they don't they might not even realize um, and um, but that you know not being afraid of that emotional blow up but just being rational rational and reasoned about it and explaining the why and um, and then being willing to follow through um, is is mm-hmm. the first step. So I've heard uh, from a couple of, of dads who felt that they extended smartphone privileges way too early in, in the life of their children, realized that it was having a negative impact that uh, was just really observable and totally re- reversed course on it as a family. And... Um, um, while the parents might have needed to keep a smartphone for work, they 
they adjusted their own habits of how and and you know avoided using those the, their devices during family time together and and that while there was an initial um you know sort of anxious period and upset period uh when they decided to set uh, lay down a new set of rules that eventually it it became it came around and was understood by the kids and and why yeah i've had a lot of high school girls at my school who got smartphone privileges a little more and a little earlier than than maybe their parents had originally anticipated but the opportunity came here comes the kid with the smartphone and then they had to reel it back and there's two instances in particular that i'm thinking of where one of the girls, probably when she was a sophomore, she lost the privilege as a punishment for whatever reason. And the phone got taken away for maybe three months or so. And in those three months, she realized herself how much better she was, how much better she was using her time. And so then when she got her privileges back, she actually self-regulated and didn't want to use her social media as much. So that was a moment of discovery. But the parents took away the phone and took away the privileges and that actually gave her the opportunity to realize the way she is with the phone and the way she is without the phone. And another girl at my school who has a senior who was given probably a smartphone, I guess, as a freshman. And just over the course of those four years, um, hearing a lot about the effects of social media and technology, kind of by the end, she said, you know what, I don't want this. And I think her parents helped because of the input in the formation and the advice that they had been getting along the way. And they imparted that to their daughter. And she also kind of made the decision. I don't want this. Another piece of advice that what you were saying reminded me of that we say a ton at our school is one of our little phrases to parents is don't get on the roller coaster. A teenage girl's life is very much an emotional roller coaster. And one of the best things that a parent can do is not get on it. So when your daughter comes home, my teacher, you didn't do this, and this was so unjust. And when that parent picks up the phone and calls the school, what did you do to my daughter? That parent has gotten on the roller coaster with their daughter. Um, or the daughter who says, I need a phone because all of my friends have one. And the parents, oh, my goodness, she needs a phone because all of her friends have one. That the girl really needs her parents to be anchored and rooted even if the daughter emotionally flails around for a little bit, but that parent should not react right away to the emotional roller coaster of her daughter and how important that is for a teenage girl to have a parent who doesn't get on that roller coaster. Yeah, that's really good advice. I, I like that a lot. Write those down. Keep them in my wallet. Um, <laughs> great. Well, um, Ginny, this has been really informative for me, and I think it's going to do a lot of good among our listeners. And so I'm, um, I'm grateful for all your generosity with your time and, and sharing um, your, your insights uh, and uh, being willing to help others. So thank you so much and uh, really appreciate your contribution. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you. Hey, thanks for listening to The Dad Project. If this talk was valuable to you, please go to our website at dadproject.net and make a voluntary one-time or recurring donation to help support our operations. Any amount helps. Catch you next time at The Dad Project.